retired Scottish international player, currently coach and player at Western Wildcats and Scottish Hockey Vice President, and you are listening to the Half Court Press. Hi, it's Ross Stott here from East Grinstead and ex-Scotland player. You are listening to the Half Court Press podcast. Hi, I'm Emily Dark. I play for Scotland at Watsonians Hockey Club and this is the Half Court Press podcast. Hi, I'm Alan Forsyth and you're listening to Half Court Press podcast. Three games of hockey is the 16th season of the Half Court Press podcast. In this series, Taylor McLeod talks to a variety of hockey players about three matches that have been particularly important to them in their lives and careers. Hi, my name's Sarah Jameson. I'm a Scotland hockey player and I play for Watsonians Hockey Club. This is the Half Court Press podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Half Court Press podcast. You join us today with our series Three Games of Hockey, where I talk to a hockey superstar about three games of hockey either in their career or have meant something particularly special to them during their time in the sport. Today, we are joined by a member of the Tartan Army, Sarah Jameson of Scotland. Hey, Sarah, how are you doing? Hi, good, thanks. So, Sarah, can you tell us a bit about yourself, please? Who are you? Who do you play for? Who have you played for? And your background in, in the game, please. Yep, so I'm... Sarah Jameson. I'm from Edinburgh originally, Portobello to be exact. So I first played for Inverleith Hockey Club from the age of about seven, I think. My dad took each of us along when we were old enough to play at the juniors there. So yeah, I was there from the age of seven to 18 when I left to go to university. And then I went to uni in Dundee. So I joined Grove Mingus Hill for Gosh, it must have been for the five years that I was in Dundee, maybe five and a half years. I came back to Edinburgh after that and still played for them and also played for Dundee University whilst I was up there. So, yeah, that was my first two clubs. We then had a bit of a club break for the Commonwealth Games. And then after we came back from that, I spent a season in Germany playing in Munich for Münchner Sport Club out there, which was really good, really great experience. And then when I came back to Edinburgh, I joined Watsonians Hockey Club, which is where I am just now. So I've ended up, after being at one club for ages, I've ended up jumping around a little bit in the last 10 years. But loved every club that I've played for. It's all been really great, really different, but really good experiences at all of them. You're now at Watsonians Hockey Club? Yes. With former Half Court Press podcast interviewee and friend of the show, Emily Dark. Yep, Darko. Yeah, she's just joined this season. So I've been there, this is technically my third season with Watsonians, but because of COVID, we've played, I played a half season, then it was all off, and then now we've played half season again. So hopefully we make it to the end of the season this time. Hopefully things, chances are a bit better this time. So yeah, I believe it's been three years really since I joined, but not so much hockey played, but we're getting there, getting back to normality. And yeah, Dark was just joined us this year as well, which is nice. Now, Emily Dark is the lady who scores all the goals from short corners for the Scottish national team, isn't she? <laughs> not, sure, not quite sure what her ratio is, but it's pretty decent. Yeah, uh, better than mine anyway. Yeah, she's got those levers and she knows how to use them. So, and she's only getting better and better with it as well. So, she's going to be lethal, lethal for us. 
now as part of my research for you I found out that you were whilst you were at Inverleaf Hockey Club you were named yes. player of the decade uh, yeah so that was last what must it have been it was either 2020 or 2019 I feel like it was during the pandemic the club turned 100 years old so they were doing various various different awards and things for the last 10 years and decided to name a player of the decade and decided to pick me as their ladies player of the decade which is really nice the club had actually only merged with foresters sort of just before i joined as a kid or maybe just after oh i need to check my facts so the ladies side of the club isn't very old in terms of inverleaf itself so yeah somehow i've ended up being sort of the most successful in hockey international terms player so yeah it was it was really nice that honor and they spoke to coaches that had coached me and stuff and did a big story on it so yeah that was really nice of them inverleaf are a lovely club with a really good youth system as well yeah they've created a scottish international yeah um, and i believe the um the technical director in relief has recently left the club to become head coach of the scottish ladies team chris duncan yes i wasn't sure i didn't realize his, his role was technical director well, it was that, that term that he was it was involved yeah. in the capacity wasn't he yeah because i knew he was still coaching the men's team like the ones but yeah chris is a couple of years well he was in the same age as my brother so he was also sort of doing youth stuff at Inverleaf when I was as well so we've known each other for years and years growing up at Inverleaf together and things so yeah it's funny to see sort of where we're all ending up now and yeah he's just been appointed our head coach which yeah he's just he's full of enthusiasm for he's super excited uh, I think he's probably surprised at how quickly it's come around you know getting that sort of position but he's he's so excited to get going you can just see his energy always in everything he does so I've no doubt he'll bring loads to the squad you know as he already has in the last few years as a, as assistant coach yeah he's been around for a while hasn't he I think he's assistant coach a couple of different head coaches wasn't he and he was after Jen Wilson left he was what interim head coach was that the term was being used yeah mm-hmm. and today is Thursday the 6th of January and it was announced a couple of days ago that he was taking it on permanently. So he's been given given it. In the green light, yeah. <laughs> Before we move on, I'd like to talk a little bit more about yourself. Mm-hmm. What position do you do you play in? May I ask how old you are? <laughs> yep. So I'm I'm a forward, always have been. Tried midfield a couple of times, but usually always get booted back up front. So yeah, that's where I've always been always played and I don't think it's time to change now and yeah so I'm 27 it's a bit late to, to move anywhere else I reckon it's where the fun is where the goal scoring happens so I'm happy there it's quite a good forward line for the Scots though isn't it You've got I know Louise Campbell rotates up around out between the midfield and the forward line yeah Sarah Robertson's quite attacking I know she's more of a, of a midfielder yeah than... yeah we've got a lot of girls who can sort of play both which is good because then it just your understanding of each of the roles just increases when you've got girls you're playing up front and know where the mids are going to be you want to go and they can just be a bit more versatile as well when it comes to selection or injuries or things like that or just the type of game the type of defense that there is so yeah it's good um, that there's a lot of girls that can that enjoy playing both I'm not really one of them but, <laughs> but uh, hopefully I bring enough in the forward line <laughs> to kind of cancel that out. Is that modern hockey though? 
remember watching a, an England match once and suddenly Bray was in attacking sense playing up front, but as soon as the team was out of possession, mm-hmm. into a midfield role. So technically, I mean, hockey teams seem to be quite flexible in transition. Yeah, yeah. I'd say we're a lot more used to now sort of the level of analysis we have in between each game at a tournament is so big. Usually have people working on that the whole time that we're at a tournament that you can really adapt your tactics pretty quickly. Whereas before you maybe would go to a tournament with a set, a couple of set systems and then you pick them as you go and kind of hope that that'll work immediately. Whereas we'll go into a game and maybe change, you know, move someone down from the forward line into mid because we want them specifically doing a certain job against a certain player. You can get really technical with it all and move people about. And I think, yeah, the level of analysis that we have now helps to do that. And players are used to adapting and, you know, being put in a certain position to do a certain role. And then the next game being put in a different position to do a different role. It happens between the lines and also within one line, you'll maybe have people that you prefer be in the middle or the outside just to to really make the most of people's strengths as well so yeah we're definitely used to being adaptable and flexible and things like that so yeah it's exciting because the game changes so quickly every time the half court press is now on patreon Patreon is a well-known and trusted online platform that allows our fans to support the sports journalism that we create. We offer a tiered subscription plan with more content being made available to our fans who choose to spend a bit more each month. We at the Half Court Press would appreciate any and all support that you wish to contribute towards our articles, podcasts, and interviews. Now, moving on to the nitty gritty of of the episode. <laughs> In this series, we're talking about three Pacific games of hockey, which are or have been important to you. For Sarah Jimson, we are talking about her favourite game of hockey as a club player her favourite game of hockey as an international player, and the favourite game of hockey as a hockey fan. So, game one, the favourite game of hockey as a club player. Sarah, can you give us a bit of background to this, please? So, I was having to do some research today with friends I played with at the time, just to double-check. So, I think this was in 2011, so I would have been fifth year of high school, 16, 17, maybe just turned 17. And it was sort of when I was at Inverley still. And I'll probably get abuse from my other clubs for not picking a game that was with them. <laughs> when I explain why it was important, that's probably, they'll forgive me. But um, So it was our last league game for us to be promoted from National 3 when it existed to National 2. So not, you know, not top premiership league winning or anything like that, but we had, we just joined up from the ladies twos, I think two years before, and then we'd come into that three and I think played a season and done okay, but we really wanted to 
to get the team promoted to the national to that two to then get promoted to that one being the ultimate goal so this was a big step the team the team that I played for at the time was really great full of a lot of older girl acts so we were like the younger ones sort of 16 17 years old and all the older girls are what we thought was old <laughs> they were like 24 really included us in the team made us feel you know much more grown up than we were and we just all had a great laugh together the whole season put in a lot of tough shifts and then so I just remember this game was our last game we had to win it to get promoted and the club made a really big deal out of it it was at Peppa Mill and I think the boys team came down and watched and had banners and you know horns going off and um it was probably the first time I'd played a game that had a lot riding on it. You know, when you're kids and stuff, you have exciting games and things, but you're just there with your pals and playing and whatever happens, happens. And this was like the first sort of occasion game that I ever really played in. And I just remember it was quite a close game. I think we ended up winning 3-2. And I can't remember if I scored, I probably should know this, but I can't remember if I scored the winning goal or just the second goal to make it 2 all. But anyway... It was just an amazing feeling playing in a game like that. And I think it was the first time I was like, that was really great. I feel so glad that we won and just like excited at the thought of like more games like that in the future and just the competitive nature of it. It was so exciting. And we all felt really special, you know, had a crowd there and stuff, which you just don't get all the time with club hockey. So yeah, it just really sits such a fond memory for me like it was just such a great game um, and I think we had a big party that night as well so yeah it was just like a great moment that always just sticks with me. So being that you were still in school at the time mm-hmm. you were sort of under the legal age of drinking did, <laughs> did a couple of teammates perhaps slip some alcoholic beverages into your Lucas A bottle? No 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 of course not of course not <laughs> Couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> Although there is an amazing picture of a couple of the other girls spraying champagne on Peppermill, and you can actually see the guy from Peppermill coming on to be like, "Stop! <laughs> Put it away!" It's a great picture, and yeah, it was just such a fun day, and yeah, I think it gave me a real sort of boost to. To, I'd felt like a really valued part of the team that made that happen and that's what I enjoy as a forward and as a player is contributing to a team's success and working as hard as I can to help that and I just that was like the first time I realized that I'd helped the team and that was the result and then that just like spurred me on but yeah it was just overall just such a fun weekend and we then did actually win that too and get promoted the next year yeah, it must be in the next year, which I don't know. I don't know if many teams have sort of done that straight jump. And I think it was only because we'd, the team was quite new in terms of having the Kinemberlink ladies' side was why they were in National 3 to begin with. So we knew we could compete higher, but we had to obviously do it. So, yeah, it was the beginning of like a good, couple, really good couple of years with, with that team. And I'm still friends with most of the girls on the team as well. So, yeah, just a really special, special game in my memory. Listen, back-to-back promotions is not to be sniffed at. I don't, I don't, <laughs> it's, it's one thing know, knowing that you're pretty decent. It's another thing actually going out and, and, and sorting it out and doing it. Um, yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Because we were trying to work out how we'd ended up, like what the circumstances were when we got promoted to National 1. 
but I actually think it was a bit of an anticlimax because it turned out the game, the last game we played, we actually lost, but we still got promoted because another team lost. And we were all saying today, like we remembered playing that game, losing, being like gutted, just thinking we'd messed it all up and being in the car back from Glasgow. And then we were waiting for the results to be uploaded on the website. And we didn't know if half the cars knew or if everybody knew that we actually had one. But then by then we were just so exhausted. We were like, oh, well, we have one. So there wasn't any big, whereas in when we went from that three to that two, we had that one game that everyone came to watch and it was just like a classic sort of promotion moment. Um, so it was a bit of a shame when like the next year we had to go to that one, we were all like, oh, we've done it. It's nice to have that moment as well at a, I suppose we can call it a stadium, like Pleffer Mill. Mm. For those who don't know, I mean, most of my audience is based in England. Mm-hmm. Pleffer Mill is... The, well, the plush water-based astroturf owned by the University of Edinburgh, uh, just off Peffermill Road, hence the name Peffermill. Peffermill Playing Fields, I think is the full title. Yeah. With a, with a seating area and a nice bar and some posh training rooms and good facilities and two astros. I believe it was used as a training base, a pre-Olympic 2012 training base by a couple of countries about 10 years ago. The home pitch for for Scotland has now moved to Glasgow because of Commonwealth Games money. There's now a newer pitch on the West Coast, but Peffermill is still the posh posh pitch on the East Coast, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think it was sort of used to be the unofficial hockey centre of Scotland and then until they got the Glasgow National Hockey Centre in Glasgow, uh, Glasgow Green, which was then became the hockey centre. But yeah, I think it may be moving back to Peffermill in the future. Why? Why is that? I think there's problems with what the, the company that own Glasgow Green, I think they want to have more football pitches or something. It's like their version of, I don't know, we've got Edinburgh Leisure in Edinburgh and I think it's called Glasgow Life. Own it. I don't know. This is all rumour mill. <laughs> but yeah, apparently, unfortunately, at the moment, we've not really been using Glasgow Green. It's also a COVID testing centre at the moment, so it's being double. I mean, they don't need more football pitches. They don't. Glasgow Green is surrounded by football pitches. We quite often can't get parked because there's so many football people there. I'm going to paint a picture here. I went to watch a couple of matches at the Commonwealth Games. Yeah. Australia, Malaysia, ladies, England, Wales, ladies. They were all in the same group with a double header. Yeah. Where I was sitting is now, was on that far side where the... Scottish Hockey call it the um, Tartan Hart stand, the temporary stand that goes up for international matches. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, but it's much bigger, much bigger. It's maybe a, maybe a thousand people in this, in this stand. Yeah. And now we can't get that in because of encroachment from the neighbouring leisure centre. Yeah, there's only a narrow... Pitches, with football pitches. Um, and every week I'm there, every time I'm there, it's well used and, you know, do we need another another pitch? Probably not. I know. Yeah, so that, I mean, that's all, I don't know. None of it's been confirmed sort of yet, but that's just what the chat is on the grapevine, is that it may be back to Peppermill, which, to be fair, Edinburgh Uni are about, are sort of starting on a huge renovation of Peppermill, which looks really exciting, which I think involves more pitches of all kinds. They're sort of rejigging it all about and getting halls in there and accommodation and things, so. And personally, living in Edinburgh wouldn't be the worst thing, but um, <laughs> to mix up training a little bit, every real thing, because it's probably the only dedicated place to hockey in the whole of Scotland. 
and we it became a real home for us in the last yeah since 2014 it's been our home pitch and we've had so many tournaments and games there and things and we feel really at home so it'll be a real shame if, if that happens and yeah I think Scotland's got definitely more room for more than one you know centre of hockey we'll see what happens but. for the development of club hockey in Scotland I suppose more broadly Great Britain as well or the UK how important is having these dedicated facilities to growing the club game it's huge I think for sort of several different reasons, obviously, for clubs specifically, to have that central base where you can go to for your finals and your playoff games, it adds a whole set of occasion to it and it gives your sort of everyday hockey player that moment where they're the centre of attention and they get to shine and show what they've been working on and, yeah, have like those moments that I did when I was 16, 17, playing in a big final in front of what felt like a huge crowd, even though it may only be 100 people or something. It's huge because usually you're at a pitch with your parents or nobody watching. So to have that to aim for, and Glasgow Green has had, you know, the Schools Cup final, they made a huge deal out of that. That's so big for all the school players um, and the club cups for under-18s and things like that. So as well as so many teams train on these pitches, at Perfer Mill we are scrabbling for slots. Watsonians train there as well, get a slot on a water-based pitch once a week. So, you know, you've got Edinburgh Uni, us and really all loads of teams all fighting over two pitches so it'll be the same it's the same in Glasgow I'm pretty sure my sister's team she used to play for Glasgow University so they used to train there and so did uh, Kelburn you know loads loads and loads of teams train and play there so yeah I think it's so important to be able to keep as many pitches as we can especially with you know a central whether it's a bar or a cafe or changing rooms as well it just makes it so much better in the quality play better and then people are more likely to come and watch you go on and on about the benefits of sort of all these places but i was about to bring up actually my next question something which you've already touched on there of developing a fan base for me the financial rewards of having a strong fan base comes from having a place to sit down yeah and get a pint and a sandwich and some shelter most importantly most importantly the one thing Aside from having a water-based astroturf, the one thing that Glasgow Green and Pepper Mill both have in common is the seated area has a roof. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in Scotland, it rains a lot. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, at, at Pepper Mill, Pitch 2 currently doesn't have any sort of cover. So if on the occasion that my mum and dad are coming to watch on sort of a November afternoon I think they were before Christmas there when they found out when parents and things find out we're on pitch to me they're like oh, oh and it's so and rainy so they never last the whole game because it's just freezing when you're standing still you know even if it's not actually that cold for playing you just freeze and, and it's no fun for anyone so yeah when we're on pitch one with with the cover and everything that's when you're more likely to get genuinely people will actually come especially if it's like family and things. If they've seen you play before and it's not that big a game, they're not going to come down if it's there's no cover and nowhere to get a cup of tea or something. So, yeah, it makes a big difference for something that sounds, you know, if people would say, oh, well, if they're a fan, they'll come and watch. But actually, why, you know, they'll find out the score. They don't want to lose feeling in their hands for it, maybe. I honestly believe that if you are a, a privately funded investor within the sports industry, and you build a water-based astroturf with good facilities, 
mm. including a bar with hospitality facilities, mm-hmm. perhaps function rooms which could be rented out for, for non-hockey related purposes. Yeah. You could make your money back, especially if it's out with Glasgow or Edinburgh. Because mm-hmm. I know my local, uh, one of my local teams, Dunfermline and Carnegie, Mm-hmm. The men's team got promoted to the National League for the first time, and they were having to have conversations with Scottish hockey about not having a water-based astroturf in Fife. Yeah, I was hearing them about that. Did they not get special on their pitch? But obviously, it's just Carnegie, and I think maybe one or two other clubs were, got offered a trial basis up to Christmas, and then they were going to have a chat about it and perhaps be offered a secondary trial basis for the rest of the season, which. Uh, well, what happens if you, if you say no? Again, Carnegie would have to travel into yeah, Edinburgh. To Edinburgh, yeah. No, it's Edinburgh, the, the other side of Edinburgh to get use of Pepper Mill. Mm. Emily Dart lives down the road from me in Fife, and she says like an hour and a half car journey to get to Watson's training. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's dedicated. <laughs> The Half Court Press is on social media. Feel free to follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Game two. Game two. Tricky one. What has been your favourite game of hockey as an international player, as a Scottish player? I will say for the record here, although this is an audio recording, I can see Sarah sat across me oh, on the video link in her full Scottish training kit. <laughs> <But> don't, <laughs> don't call me out as a... Okay. <laughs> it's surprising health in that context, For context, I wear this to go running because the pockets are good. Pockets are important. I, I, I'm they're good. like roomy, but they're, they don't flap up and down so I can put my phone in and it won't annoy me. These are the things you have to think about when you do so many running sessions in the winter. Got to have layers that cooperate. When you go out running with your phone in your pocket, do you mm. do you listen to the Half Court Press podcast? Yes, every time. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. I stay in the edit, by the way. <laughs> Don't even hesitate. <laughs> so, your favourite game of hockey as an international player? When was this? Can you give us a bit of background, please? It was the um, 2019 Euros at Glasgow Green. And I was really torn because there was pretty much every game we played in that tournament was amazing and en- enjoyed all of them. And obviously I've had some other tournaments which had really amazing moments in them as well. I think I probably have to just go with the final against Italy because it kind of, obviously we won a tournament at home. We'd won every game and that was the last one. We didn't actually need to win it to get promoted because that was Poland game, the semi-final. But I think it just sort of summarised a big change and a big sort of moment for the team and for a lot of the players in terms of a few a few different things. We'd had games recently against Italy in the sort of year. And actually, when I first joined the squad, we'd had important games against Italy, which we'd lost, which again, lost us a place in the World Cup. So that was in 2017. We'd played, we'd played Italy at World League Three and we'd had to beat them to still be in with the chance of the World Cup and we lost and it was a frustrating game and we should have won and you know the usual story so the fact that it was Italy again that we were facing in this final was big so 
the fact that it was Italy that we beat and it could have been any team in the final but the fact that it was Italy was important and then that whole tournament I think I'd, I've never been to a tournament with Scotland up until that point where we'd won so many games and it was just the feeling through the whole tournament was so positive and I'd had really positive tournaments before but quite often we've been at really difficult tournaments where you have a game or something where it just doesn't go right and we'd have a really low moment during the tournament and you have to sort of pick yourself up that was how I thought Scotland tournaments went which is not just because of the nature of the ones we've been at but this one was the one that just every game got better and better and to be at home and there was such a good feeling about it all so the 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 final was just like cherry on top of the cake yeah just the whole week we were sort of like pinching ourselves like oh we've done this like we still we won that game and then you know we just fought off a lot of our demons I think in that tournament and really believed that we could do it and we did it and it was just yeah such a such a great squad and such a great setting it was just such a fun game and it was a dramatic game as well we scored relatively early on Italy had loads of chances and so did we and then they scored no then we scored again so we were like this is it quite close to the end and then in the last few minutes they scored there was cards there was people getting sent off there was fights happening almost and it was just so dramatic and with like a pretty much packed Glasgow Green it was just great and we just yeah loved it. Sell out crowds for every Scotland match Paul Elliott, the comms manager at the time, confirmed that with me afterwards. I believe it was Tilly, the Italian captain, yeah. and playmaker, got sent off at the end. I think that might have been the only red card I've seen in an elite level game of hockey before. It was crazy. It was just... What happened there? I, 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 was... had, I think she was, getting, she was getting riled the whole game because obviously she is their main, was particularly then their main playmaker. And so we had a plan for her to just sort of cut off her options and not play into her hands. And so she was getting frustrated and frustrated her teammates. And then I'm pretty sure she started shouting at the umpire and then at one point, like, refused to play the ball. It was just chaos because it, it, I, my memories of it, I had to, like, watch it back after because my memories of it are just, it's just chaos because we we're all exhausted, you know, it's the end of the tournament and we were two up. And then they scored and we just had a, not really not long. We just had to hold on. So everyone was working so hard, putting everything at it. And then there was, yeah, there was just so much going on. It was a sensory overload. It was, um, it was crazy. But yeah, when she got sent off, you're all just like, we've definitely done it now. I've seen, I've seen Italy play a few times now. I was at the World Cup in 2018, watching them. I was in Glasgow in 2019 as well. Mm-hmm. And the idea I've always had, the impression that I got with Italy was if you can get past their midfield, defensively, they're not strong, apart from TD. Mm-hmm. And I've seen them having to do the, the legwork for two or three of her teammates. Yeah. So if, if you can press her, then it's, yeah, I'd imagine she would be getting frustrated. Yeah. Yeah. And she'll slot a ball up the, up the field, no bother. But then I think when she repeatedly watched you know, her forwards get shut down or knocked off the ball or, like, they make mistakes, then she was getting frustrated with that as well. And we were just so up for it that day. And I, I, get, I think probably having a home crowd helped a lot because we just had that sort of backing the whole tournament, which we'd never experienced before. Well, some of us, like, those of us who were at 2000 comedy games would have, but I'd never had a tournament at home. Yeah, it just, yeah, there was a sort of just confident feeling that you had that everybody watching was completely believed that you could do it so you were like oh sure 
So no, it was just a, a great game and dramatic one for the fans. So so yeah, that that really is up there for me. Talking about the fan base, Scottish hockey sat sat the media basically me next to the family, the family to the players. All right. Okay. Fantastic. Uh, Becky Ward's aunt was there most games, <laughs> dancing in the aisles. Charlotte Watson's mum is brilliant. I love her. Honestly, she was in the final, she was screaming, come on! Yeah, she couldn't be any more different to Shazza. <laughs> but yeah, it was so great to have so many there. My parents actually had a wedding, so they couldn't make it. So I had nobody to go and say hi to at the end. And all my friends had been at other games. But I just tag on to all the other, other girls. We had a few the sort of retired players as well were down. So there was plenty of people that I knew. But yeah, sadly, my parents weren't there. But I think uh, it was a family friend's wedding. So I think my dad, my dad was absolutely gutted that he wasn't there, particularly. My mum likes the hockey as well, but dad's the one who got us into it. So it was a shame they weren't there to see it. That tournament was the first time I, I suppose, I got to know Charlotte Watson, Sarah Robertson as well as players. Mm-hmm. Um, who have now gone on to have really good careers with, well, begin really good careers with Great Britain. Robertson is an Olympic medalist now. I know. Yeah. Strong team. Yeah, I know. It's crazy, but so so deserved. She'd be down there for, you know, a long time, sort of fitting in a, a, such a graph to, to get on the team. So, yeah, it's so surreal for all of us to see her finally get there. But I can imagine it's even, you know, even more surreal for her, but um, yeah, just so great to see her. Doing so well after so long down there. Yeah, she, we had a sort of homecoming party for her when she came back, which was just great. They've all got really bright pictures ahead as well, like Shazza and Amy and everyone else who's involved with the EDP stuff. So, yeah, it's really great to see them all doing so well. Yeah, Amy Costello is one of these players who plays hockey really simply, but really, really well. She seems like quite a smart player. Yeah. You can almost, like, see her brain working as she plays, like... She'll be doing some ridiculous skill on the ground and 3D, but she'll be like looking about, checking out her options, just so casual. And that's very sort of like her nature as well. She doesn't really get too flustered in the pitch or if she does, she doesn't show it. But yeah, just looks so chilled all the time and can, you know, quite easily skin you, but keep it really simple as well, which I think is a nice mix. And they're still pretty young. She's like, must be 23, 24 now. Some... Of the other Scottish players that I've interviewed have made issue with the GB selection process, especially <laughs> after the Alan Forsyth nonsense. Do you have an opinion on this? Uh, it's a tricky one. I don't know. I think it's such a it's such a web to get into, isn't it? It's such a huge system that's been there for so long. And it's changed and is changing, which I think is good and I think you can't deny that some players have been hard done by by it but you just have to hope that in the future you know that's going to change and it becomes a bit more even but it's just a, a minefield almost to get into isn't it and you just feel feel for those players that have gone down and not come away with what they thought they could achieve I can't imagine anything is more heartbreaking than that you know putting in all the work and then feeling that you should be getting somewhere and just not getting it but at the same time you've got players who do who've put in the work and do get you know medals and things like that so yeah it's a tough system I don't really know what the answer is for it I think the EDP is a real a real game changer I think I was involved with it for a bit 
2018 or 2017. And then there's a lot of girls who've been involved with it for years and years and it's helped them improve so much, get their name a bit more out there. And hopefully that'll end up with more girls then, you know, progressing to the senior senior squads and things like that. So I think that's a really important part of it. The EDP is the Elite Development Programme, program. which is, from what I understand, is basically the under-23s. Yeah, with a, few, with a few exceptions, I think. I think I must have been just 23 or something. Emily Dark's involved in it, isn't she, from Scotland? Yeah. Is Nikki Cochran, she's still the one of the goalkeepers? Uh, I don't know what she's doing at the moment, because I know she's just doing sort of knee at the moment as well, but she has been in and out of it, and I think she does regularly sort of train with them. I don't know if she's training to be a PE teacher, so has been pretty intensely doing that. But, yeah, there's quite a few girls, Millie Steiger, Jen E.D., Mackenzie Bell, gonna get in trouble for who I've forgotten but yeah there's been loads and then there's opportunities to trial every year as well and they do you know intense camps and trips and things obviously not so many trips at the moment but we went when I was in it we went to Spain a couple of times and yeah the training was really good hard but it helped me a lot as well yeah it's a really great program I think it can only it can only benefit sort of the Scots that are involved and um, hopefully that continues and sort of that Red continues on to seniors as well. The Half Court Press is a multi-sport media outlet. You can check out our articles, opinion pieces and PDF magazines on our website. www.halfcourtpressmagazine.com Game 3. Your favourite game of hockey as a fan. So I've been trying to do my research to pin down what it is, what these games were. There was, again, I was trying to figure out what year this must have been. It maybe was like 2010, 2009. There was a Champions Challenge or something that was on BBC Red Button and GB were playing. And I think it was in Brazil or somewhere hot because I was also following them on Twitter or something, you know, seeing updates of what they were doing. And I remember watching these international matches, maybe it was in Argentina, but the crowd was huge. And I was just like, couldn't believe that I was seeing so many people watching hockey. And it was really exciting. And GB and Argentina were so close, closely matched and the games were really intense. And I just thought like, one, I was thinking like, that looks really fast and really intense. I wonder if I could do that. <laughs> and I was like, probably not at this point, but I just remember watching these games and getting really invested in the tournament. And it was the first time I'd sort of been aware of that level of hockey because I hadn't, it was never on the TV. So you didn't really know who, unless you'd been down to watch Scotland play whoever as a kid, which wasn't really advertised a lot anyway. You weren't really aware of who international players were, particularly GB as well. For me, I didn't know any of the names. And then very quickly I was like, oh, who's that player? Who's that player? And then, yeah, it was just my first insight into international hockey really and because it was on red button. I just thought that looked that looked really fun, and I um, just thought it was amazing to see hockey on the TV at all. So, yeah, whenever the, that Champions Challenge was, those games really had a big impact on me, and yeah, just made hockey even more exciting. And sort of, I didn't think those kind of things happened. You know, big events, big tournaments, and I was like, probably the first time that I thought in my head, like, oh, that would be, that would be cool. So then, when I've then seen playback of like our games that have got commentators and it's filmed and it's on whatever channel I'm like oh look I'm like 
doing what that was that's really cool and that shows you like shows me how far I've come kind of thing. so yeah I don't know what tournament it was I think maybe a champions trophy or something that GB were playing and, um, and watching that and just thinking it was pretty cool it was maybe earlier I think I was quite young so but anyway yeah I'll maybe need to do my research and figure out when it was the 2010 Women's World Cup was in Argentina Ah, maybe it was those games then. That probably makes sense. In England then. They probably would have had a, a warm-up tournament as well. Yeah, um, I just remember there was a, re- a few months where there was just a lot of hockey on the TV and managing to watch a lot of it on Red Button and just, yeah, really enjoyed it. It was great to see and then thinking it looked great and wondering if I could ever do it kind of thing. We're talking about role models here, aren't we? Probably the first time I was confronted with who would have been mine if I'd, if, you know, if there had been more hockey on the TV, you know, footballers, people play football, grow up watching football regularly, whereas it's not the case for us. We don't know, when you're young, you don't really know if you're aiming for, or we didn't know who we were aiming for. Now, obviously, there's a lot more, and there's only increasing, you know, the pro league and things like that. You can actually have a look at what you might be in the future, whereas when I was growing up, there, I was, nobody knew who international players were. So it's interesting to think how it's how much has changed. More broadly as well, I'm a little bit older than you, but when I was a kid, there was no women's sport on TV. It yeah. Very, very masculine. Yeah, of course. A lot of sports now, women's football, for example, if you can see it, you can be it. Mm. How important is it for young girls and young ladies to get that focus of an alternative version of sporting femininity as well yeah I think it's so important and probably I hadn't even realized until I was thinking this week about those games as a fan I was thinking like okay what games have I enjoyed as a fan and what had an impact on me and actually yeah those games like sitting watching those in my brother's bedroom on his tiny tv watching these girls play in front of a huge crowd and whilst at the time I wasn't necessarily like I definitely want to do that. It had obviously some sort of impact. Obviously, I was already in the sport playing and enjoyed it, but you don't really know what you're aiming for. You're just doing it because your friends are there or your dad takes you or whatever. I don't know. But seeing that, put it into a bit of context of what the highest level actually was. And it was so exciting to see. And then probably in the back of my mind, the whole time I was sort of involved with Scotland's you know, age group stuff. Whereas if I hadn't seen that, I would just be, I maybe wouldn't have gone back into Scottish stuff when I was a bit older and things like that. So I think to see that and to see, yeah, even just to like watch and be like, oh, I really like that one player. They do this skill. I'm going to try that or I'll follow her career and see where she ends up. Just having something to focus on and a reason to enjoy the sport. Yeah, so, so important. And then obviously for girls who have ne- maybe never played hockey, if they could see some hockey, See how exciting it is at an international level they might start or they might be thinking of quitting and decide well actually I'm going to stick around so yeah it's so important and even now like sometimes our games are shown on sort of unusual channels and my aunt can't find it or my dad can't find it and things like that so yeah it'd be great if it was sort of more widespread and more easily accessible women and men I think hockey even for men's hockey is still hard to sort of get hold of sometimes but there's so much work still needing done, but yeah, it shows you that there has been improvements since I was younger, but that's probably also mostly just through technology and things like that. 
being able to get you know various live streams and all these sporting channels online whereas before it was literally red button just and then yeah it's been a huge change but more more to come hopefully now favorite tournaments events do you have a favorite tournament to play in and do you have a favorite tournament to watch and are they different so as in a favorite tournament like type so like euros or commonwealth games or my favorite one that i've actually played in a bit of both uh, everybody loves the Euros. Everyone loves the Euros, if you're European. <laughs> so I've played in three now, and they're just such a high level of competition. Been twice to Amsterdam, 2017 and last year. I mean, you can't get a better hockey host nation than Amsterdam, the Dutch. I mean, they just know how to do it. Yeah, everyone loves the Euros, and because it's every two years, you get a bit of context and background to it. It's not sort of standalone, even though it's a two-year gap. You feel you're quite often fighting from what you've experienced the last time, whether you're trying to redeem yourself or whether you're trying to stay where you are. Or come, It's just so exciting. And I think it gives chances for countries, sort of smaller countries like us, to put ourselves about a bit and see how we get on. So, so of course, the Continental Championships, it's a two-year cycle for promotion and relegation. The 2019 women's competition was in Glasgow. Because you got to the final and then won it, you got promoted to the A grade, the top tier Europeans in 2021, where you got to play, you know, play in Holland and against Holland as well, which, yeah. which has been described to me by one or two, two of your teammates as an experience. <laughs> um, blur, a blur of orange. Yeah, so you, and of course you were, you were there, you were, you were in the, the hockey hub of the world. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was amazing. It's so hard to know how to sort of gear yourself up for a game like that. We actually, they we played the Dutch four years before in 2017, and it was my first international tournament and the first game of that tournament in Brussels at World League 3. And that was, I don't remember really anything from that game because I just remember running and running and not having the ball and just it was so it was just a blur that game so at least this time I felt a bit more <laughs> involved but again that first time we played them we we lost 4-0 and we came away feeling like you know that's really not bad against the Dutch and but we literally sat I think in our D and defended the whole time so that's not that exciting to do and yeah I think this time we thought well our chances are not great let's be realistic here we're not exactly gonna cause the upset of the century and beat the Dutch but we may as well try and play our style at least a little bit and uh, yeah 10 goals later maybe that maybe our feelings changed but it was amazing and I think particularly having been in isolation and lockdowns and not played international hockey to play in front of I think there was maybe 3,000 or two that's maybe wildly wrong but um a lot of people, a lot of Dutch fans, and they're a really nice crowd. It was still like a great experience and one not to forget. But so, as a as a player, I'm sensing that positive memories that, uh, that you are talking about as a player in, in Pacific Games or and border tournaments we've, we've discussed so far. Quality of facilities, opposition as well, are, are part of the variables. Mm. 
fans and atmosphere you've mentioned a few times in in different ways all seem to go towards making an enjoyable tournament or match or basically an event to play Mm in yeah yeah definitely I think we're quite good at you know we at playing for Scotland you could go to really random countries as well as sort of Dutch uh, Holland and things like that so we were always told particularly at age group level that wherever you go you make the best of the facilities, you make the best of the food, you just have to get on with it wherever you are because you could be anywhere. So when we actually go somewhere with really good facilities and good fans and good food and amazing atmosphere, it just really sticks out even more. So yeah, that's what you end up focusing on. You just, you remember the really, really good ones. And um, we've, I've been pretty lucky in the, the tournaments and games that I've played in, we've had some really, really great games and you know exciting tournaments that we've been a part of and played against some of the best teams in the world particularly in the last, like my first few years in the squad, which was just great experience to get with not very many caps at the time and things like that. So, yeah, it's funny to look back on now because I feel like I've only just joined the squad batch and I've done so much and been there for nearly six years now. So, yeah, we've had some great, great experiences. The Half Court Press is now on Patreon. Patreon is a well-known and trusted online platform that allows our fans to support the sports journalism that we create. We offer a tiered subscription plan with more content being made available to our fans who choose to spend a bit more each month. We at the Half Court Press would appreciate any and all support that you wish to contribute towards our articles, podcasts and interviews. As we begin to wind up, well, a few more questions for you. Mm-hmm. Now, the three games you picked, game one was winning the last game of the season to win the league and get promoted in the Scottish yeah. national divisions. Mm-hmm. Game two was winning the second tier European Championships in Glasgow. Game three, as a fan, was watching, I suppose, a, a road to a to discovery of a higher level of hockey than you were playing at the time or what, that you were aware of at the time. Yeah. It's, more, it's more of a... Um, a door opening experience for yourself. Yeah. yeah definitely. If you could pick only one of these games, which one would it be? I think it's got to be Scotland against Italy at Glasgow Green. That was just great. <laughs> Winning something on an international level against a rival's European side. Yeah. Yeah. Just think Tats doesn't come along very often as Scotland to do that and to do it at home after such a great tournament, just that whole two weeks was just unbelievable. With a really great team who genuinely all really get on, was just a great day, great weekend, great 10 days. That'll just really sort of, because then COVID hit sort of maybe like six months later and then hockey was completely gone. And then looking back at a year later, you were like, wow, as if that was even real life that we had that tournament and it was all smooth and there was no, you know, it just seems now like an alternate world that that happened. So sort of in a way it's even more special because we were just so carefree and played and it all was great <laughs> and then 
obviously 2020 happened but yeah that just has a real special special place in my memory and it was just a great great tournament and that game in particular just felt it all off it was you know if before the tournament you would have asked how do you ideally want this week to go it literally went to the best case scenario so yeah I think I have to pick that one right Sarah I am the magic genie I have made you the head of the FIH the International Hockey Federation for one day only what one thing would you change about hockey one thing to change about hockey I don't know in terms of like literally anything I was gonna say I was gonna say um if Scotland could play in the Olympics that would be great but I don't think FIH has that in their <laughs> well there is in the devolved Scottish Parliament, there is a pro-independence majority, politically speaking, between the Scottish Nationalists and the uh, Scottish Greens. So give it a few years, but... <laughs> you never know. I know. Never know. Yeah. So Scotland to play as an individual country at the Olympic yeah. Games. Just for hockey. That'd be fine. Just for hockey. <laughs> Just think it'd be fun. <laughs> Love to take the girls to the Olympic Village. I think it'd be fun. And then play. An independent IOC, Scotland's hockey team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why not? Last question. Okay. Why are you a hockey fan? It's just a great game, isn't it? Just, I think it's hard because I think, and I think one thing that's quite unique to hockey is that the link between hockey player and hockey fan is pretty important. I don't know many people who are fans of hockey that have never played you know it's mostly people's parents or family and things like that but I think if you're a hockey player you're a hockey fan and because I know and love the game as a player I'm invested in it and enjoy watching it as well because you can appreciate the skill that you're seeing and you know how the hard work that's been put in by the players and things like that and you often know the players you're watching and things so yeah I think because I love the game so much as a player I enjoy watching it as a fan as well. I think it'd be good to see more people who don't play enjoying the game because everyone that, friends of mine that end up watching the odd game at tournament and things in the, over the last five years watching Scotland are all like, hockey's so exciting, hockey's so fast. It's just, you know, it's like football, but so similar. And I'm like, I know, <laughs> I know I've been trying to tell you. <laughs> and everybody who watches it enjoys it. So yeah, hopefully in the future we can get hockey out there a bit more and get some more non-hockey playing hockey fans. It'll benefit that's why. Sarah Jameson of Watsonians Hockey Club and the Scottish national team. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This has been a Half Court Press production by Teo McLeod. If you have enjoyed this show, please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and Facebook.